Welcome, everybody, to the Journeyman Fire Podcast. It's going to be today with myself, Kyle Sampson, and Grant Schwalbe. Today, we'll be welcoming in Chief Skip Coleman, a retired uh, assistant chief from Toledo, Ohio. He retired with more than 32 years' experience, managed every fire uh, major bureau in the department. He's a NFA EFO officer and teaches throughout the country, including incident management um, and uh, search stuff. So uh, without further ado, I'll let Chief introduce himself a little bit and get everybody kind of up to date on who he is and what he does. Chief, take it away. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. Um, as he said, uh, Kyle's had 32 years in the, in the fire service at Toledo Fire Department, 525-person uh, department, um, pretty busy, a lot like a, a small Detroit. Uh, we're very close, 45 miles away from Detroit, and we were linked to the auto industry. We Toledo was the glass where they made the windshields uh, for most of the cars for up in Detroit, and so we're we're a lot like Detroit, and economically, um, uh, we're we're a lot like Detroit. Uh, I retired 12 years ago, and I've stopped teaching pretty much maybe four or five years ago. I, I, it's, it's evolved so much, the, the fire service and the tactics that are out there. I just didn't feel comfortable standing in front of a group of firefighters with my um, knowledge base, uh, I guess, uh, based on how we did things in the 70s and 80s. Uh, my last hostile fire that I actually masked up and, and went into, uh, a burning building was as a captain in 1986. Uh, so my frame of reference is, is just totally out of whack with what you young kids are are doing now uh, as an example we didn't have mandatory mask i instituted mandatory mask in toledo in 1988 as chief of training um, i have never been to a hostile fire uh with wearing a hood we we didn't wear them back then that was just something that a few handful of of guys on the job were were wearing back then and they were doing it more as just you know, something to let them stay in longer. Uh, it wasn't really thought of it was protection. It was more of just a way to be able to gut it out a little bit longer inside a burning building. And and so a lot of my perspective, I was talking to Grant earlier, I've never used a tick. Um, they, again, came on much later. And so it's changed so much. And that that's kind of why I backed away from the teaching aspect of of this i still wrote uh my last book searching smarter um relatively um i think i this uh, you know not too long ago um but um i i just i, I just it's, it's a young man young person's job so anyway um that's kind of my perspective so uh a lot of guys know that I'm passionate about search and get out and teach the search stuff. And, and you're a large part of that reason. Um, 
I was first introduced to Oriented Search with you at Owens Community College uh, in the 90s. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the Oriented Search and how that was born? I know that plays a big role in, in what you've done. Yeah, yeah. Um, it all goes back to 1984. Uh, it was uh, I was lieutenant at Sevens Ladder in uh, the near downtown area uh, of Toledo, and the assistant chief came up to me one day and uh, stopped at the station, which was, you know, that just didn't happen when he said, yeah, I'm here to see Lieutenant Coleman. And he said, let's go up to your room. And I'm walking up the stairs thinking, what the hell did I do? And he got me up in his in my office and uh, he, he said they wanted me to come out and be one of the 12 instructors for the next recruit class. And it was the first class that we uh, hired in Toledo with female firefighters. And we were going to put 64 recruits, uh, I think it was including 12, firefight 12 female firefighters, through our, our recruit school. And uh, I was just so flattered, you know, that, you know, me, you know, they asked to go out and, and he told me at the time they wanted me to teach SCBA in, in search. And I, I remember he left and I said, yeah, count me in. Don't even, I don't even want to think about it. Just, yep. And, you know, calling a few of my good friends, on the job and telling them what just happened and calling my wife and my dad, my dad who was a retired chief of training from Toledo. He, he, he left the year he retired in 75 and I came on in 75. So, <clears throat> and I'll never forget laying in bed that night at the firehouse and trying to fall asleep and thinking, man, this is really good. And all of a sudden it, it hit me. What the hell am I going to teach him? And I sat there and I tried, tried to come up with a way of describing how we searched in Toledo that I could put it on a piece of paper, make a lesson plan out of it, and, and, and teach these young kids what we do. And it just struck me. We didn't do anything. Um, I probably, as, a, as in, in my recruit school, um, spent – two or three afternoons when it was raining, working on search. And, and the majority of that time was spent on drags and, and carries and not the actual physical going into a zero visibility space and somehow doing a coordinated, um, thought-out search process. <clears throat> so I, I kind of got nervous real quick and... and they they took us out relatively soon. They took us off field operations and, and, and took us out to the training bureau so we could prepare our lesson plans. And I talked to a lot of the, the other instructors that were out there. And one day I was reading a magazine. you got to remember, this is before you could Google, uh, you know, fire department search. Um, and so I was reading a magazine, and, and the magazine is no longer in print. It was called Fire Journal. And I read an article, and it was titled Surviving the Search and Rescue, and it was written by psychologist um, professors from a, a university in North Carolina. In their perspective of the article, or the, the reason they wrote the article is they did studies on firefighters and stressful situations 
and how in in that stressful situation where firefighters are going into burning buildings with the, their 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 assignment to do search how, how what what could be done psychologically to, to 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 put those firefighters more at ease and feel better about how they were conducting a search instead of just worrying about fire conditions and the search itself. And so they came up with this thing and they called it the oriented method of search. And it was the, 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 the process was that instead of everybody going in and all three or four or two firefighters, however many you had in your crew participating in the search, one firefighter, general the officer, and they called him the oriented man, um, his job was to be in charge and to stay in a hallway and to come up with a plan and to get firefighters to individually do one-person searches in a room, and, and the officer would guide, for lack of a better word, the crew systematically through a, a building, generally a house, and depending upon conditions and depending upon time of day, and and uh, he would determine where we were going to start the search, where we were going to go next, and where we were going to go after that. And also his or her priority was changing fire conditions and the safety of the crew. And that was the thought process of this article. And, and they did a bunch of studies with fire departments in the North Carolina area. And statistically, they had proof that when a firefighter by him or herself crawled into a, a room to do a search, a one-person search, which was kind of, you know, forbidden back then, it's it still is, you know, you, you shouldn't we it's a team process and you shouldn't go into a, a room technically alone at least that was the process or the thought process back then it was proven that the firefighters felt much more comfortable and could focus more on the actual search if they knew that somebody was out in the hallway right outside that door looking out for changing fire conditions and kind of watching out for, for, for your back as you went into this room by yourself and conducted a search in a 12 by 12 bedroom. So I took that premise and said, okay, now we're a four person engine department and three persons generally on the truck back then. How can I take that concept and, and actually make it work from start to end? And, and and what are your cues on where you start? You know, if, it's, if the fire's at 3 in the morning and you, it's, you're in a bedroom community, you're probably going to want to start in the sleeping areas. And the same with 3 in the afternoon, you're, you're not going to want to start in the sleeping areas. You're going you're to start in the living room, the kitchen, um, den, something like that. And then how how can we have that officer develop a plan where he knows where he is or she is at all times in a building and where his or her crew are at all times in that building. And, and we, I just bounced things off of the other instructors uh, that were out there with me, and we developed this plan or this scenario on how we can conduct searches. And to kind of make a long, too long of a story short, 
uh, one day that same assistant chief that came out and asked me if I would go out to training bureau and, and, and help with these recruits, he came out one day to watch us do some drills with these these kids, and uh, he watched uh, watched them do the oriented search in blacked out face conditions, and came pulled me aside that same day and said, hey, I got good news and bad for you. The good news is I really like what you're doing. The bad news is I'm going to keep you out in training for a couple more months after the recruits leave, and I want to put every Toledo firefighter through this method. So I, I couldn't you know, say no and uh, stayed out there and was, was pleasantly surprised on how it was accepted, especially by the older what I would consider the really good firefighters, the squatties, and in the, the, the guys who were at sevens and sixteens and in fives and stuff, <clears throat> they all kind of said, "Hey, I, I I think I like this. This makes sense." So from there, I, I after after the recruit class went and it, it came and, and they all graduated, and I I put the rest of the fire department through this training. Uh, I decided to get my instructor's card through the state, so took a state instructor's class, and that was about it. Then all of a sudden, uh, one day, one of the one of my good friends out in training, I was back as captain of fives at the time, uh, came up to me and said, "Hey, there's this thing called State Fire School that's in Bowling Green every year," and uh, he says, uh, "Why don't you put in for a teaching thing out there?" and, and uh, I did and, and got a job and did that for maybe, I don't know, a couple of years in a row. And that was just the beginning then of my my teaching career. So that's that's kind of how it, it was at least started from my perspective. I can't take credit for it. I wish, again, it was these two, and I, I've tried to find that article. Um, it was in a, a magazine called Fire. Uh, journal and the, the name of the article was surviving the search and rescue but I have not been able to, to trace it down I've, I've been out the National Fire Academy dozens of times and went to their library and uh, they had the librarians help me we still haven't found it but anyways uh, I wish I could take credit for, for the, the, the basic concept all I did is take it and make it I guess kind of um, firefighter worthy or firefighter usable. Um. So, Chief, you said that some of the squad companies were pretty receptive to it. What was the feeling amongst the, the just the rank and file and the regular companies? Was it hard to do a cultural change in your fire department to go to that more, you know, uh, thought-out search process, or, or did you find it pretty relatively easy because of the buy-in from some of the, the busier companies? I think I think it was pretty easy. I think there was always the, the naysayers. I was, I, was, I was promoted young on the job. Uh, I, I made lieutenant with three years on the job and captain uh, with, I think, seven or six years. And so... Um, you know, I had some of the naysayers and thought I was just some hotshot kid that was a, you know, all book smart and you know, really. But I've always been in busy companies, and I think I think people understood that I was okay in a fire and stuff. 
And that helped. And the other thing that helped, again, is the fact that up until that time, when you went through drill school, you laid hose till you puked and you, you know, bloated the hose back on the bed until you puked. And you did right angle raises and left angle raises and dome raises again until you puked. But we didn't spend hardly any time physically telling a recruit how you go in and actually do a search inside a building. And, and, and you know, come to think of it, prior to incident command, which I'm lucky enough to have fought fires both ways. In fact, I, I again, I, I, I said earlier that I, I, I wrote our mask policy. Um, I also wrote our incident command policy. So I've never fought a fire as a firefighter or lieutenant or a captain under the incident command system. I've also run fires prior to incident command as a young battalion chief. And then I was pulled off the line one day as a, as a young battalion chief in the relief pool by the chief of the department and said, hey, I want you to develop the incident command system to something that we can use in our department. So again, I'm back and again, no internet, but I, I got some books and magazines and started reading and I talked to Chief Brunacini, called him. I had the guts to call him up and talk to him and he was extremely nice and very helpful. And we came up with a plan. But where I was going with that is when I was a firefighter lieutenant captain and a young battalion chief, we didn't we didn't say engine sixteen your search. We didn't say truck seven your ventilation. The, the, the chief just kind of said, you know, sevens lay in, um, and the officer, if the if the chief didn't grab you as you walked past him, the officers just made some assumptions, and you kind of did, unless he grabbed again the officer. He didn't make assignments over the radio. He either grabbed you, yelled at you, or you did then, if, if lack of either of those, you did whatever you thought needed to be done. And truck companies generally went to the roof unless you were told otherwise. At least that's the way it was in Toledo. Uh, truck companies weren't very heavily utilized in search in Toledo. And the second do or third do engine company started the search. Our, our primary thing back then in the 70s when I came on was the engine company. You get, you get to, the, to the building as soon as the rig with the water got there, put the damn fire out. And uh, everything after that just kind of sprung by necessity or the chief grabbing an officer and saying, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. Uh, you said um, it seemed relatively easy for you to make changes. Is that because you just you had a plan and you were determined and you kept focused? Because I know a lot of guys these days, they let that kind of, I guess, critiquing kind of get to them. But it seems like you kind of shrugged off the critique of you being a younger fire officer and just said, for lack of a better term, screw it. Um, I, I, I know I think this is a good idea and I'm going to keep pushing forward with it. Do you think your just determination and, and willingness to try to get better is really what made that, that change uh, easier? Yeah. Um, that and a strong uh, boss who was the assistant chief uh, at the time 
and uh, a, a strong chief of the department who told the chiefs that had more seniority and outranked me, the deputies at the time, you do what the kid says, okay? And no ifs, ands, or buts. And it was a very difficult for me. Here I am, um, 12 years on the job, and at the time, each shift had a deputy in charge of it who, who worked 24-48, was the shift commander, but just like another battalion chief, he had his own little fire district. He was first out in the downtown area. And the battalion chiefs then were, there were three on duty in Toledo and one deputy. And so here I am, a young battalion chief, telling deputy chiefs how they're going to fight fires. And that, trust me, did not go over well. But I was backed by my direct boss, who was the assistant chief at the time, Chief Schultz, and Chief Winkle. And, you know, they told these guys, you can talk about them all you want behind your back, but you do what the guy tells you to do. This is the plan. And that, that, that was the beauty of the incident command system at that time, is because there was no plan before the incident command system. This gave, as I, as, I, as I said when I wrote uh, Incident Management for the Street Sergeant Fire Officer, this gave the fire service, at least from Toledo's perspective at the time, and I think a lot of departments at the time, this gave us our playbook. And before this, prior to this, we had no playbook. We had chiefs that were dictatorial on the fire ground and yellers and screamers and told you you didn't you you didn't you didn't do a thing at the fire without him telling you to do it. And we had other chiefs that never said a word. And I think they were probably incompetent, but they just let the the officers do whatever they 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 wanted to or thought they needed to do. And, and, you know, hope for the best. And I knew that was wrong. I recognize that that was, that that's not the way it should be done. You know, we've got to have somebody in charge and that somebody is going to be uh, held responsible for the outcome of that incident. And you you do in general what that person you give your assignments and what are the assignments what do you do with a fire you attack it we search we ventilate we pull backup lines were non-existent back then um at least they weren't called a backup line they were either called a protection line or something similar to that but, but uh, back then a backup line was a second hose line for more firepower more, you know, give you more GPMs. So, um, um, this I recognized, and so did my boss and the chief of the department, Chief Winkle, that this was going to work out good for the fire department. And, and folks, suck it up. This is the way it's going to be. And there were some struggles at first, and but the deputy chief of operations, so going back to that, because I think it's kind of interesting, us younger chiefs at the time, younger battalion chiefs, recognized that 
the system is silly. We had three deputy chiefs that worked at 2448, had no administrative responsibility. They were just an overpaid battalion chief who did the staffing, was in charge of who was going to ride what way, what day. And the bureaus were all run at the time by battalion chiefs. And so these young battalion chiefs, like I was at the time in training, were telling these deputy chiefs what to do and how to do it, and it didn't it didn't work well at all, you know. So I also at that time was the president of the Chiefs Association, and we went into negotiations, and the chief wanted to make the chief of the department at the time wanted to make some changes, and talked to myself and Phil Koenigsecker, who was very well educated, good chief, and and very innovative at the time. And he, uh, we we negotiated some things in the contract, and we also, the chief said, I'm going to change some things. I want the deputies to take their rank and their knowledge, and they'll be in charge of the bureaus, and we're going to get rid of the line deputies. And we came up with a thing called the senior battalion, um, who was in charge when the deputy was off on nights and weekends, and it just worked well for us. But we got the 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 the... A, the deputy chiefs and bureau positions where they belonged, and B, we came up with a system that held people accountable for their responsibility and what their assignment was. And we didn't micromanage. I didn't tell anybody, if I say you're attack to engine five, I didn't say engine five, you're attack, I want you to pull an engine three-quarter in through the front door and take it upstairs to the second floor and darken the fire on the AB corner. I just said command engine five, you're attack. And, and, I had enough faith in that officer to let him or her just go in and, and, and know that is what this situation dictated it or was called for and what I wanted. If I didn't think that, if I was a young officer, an officer I didn't know well, I'd nudge him and give him some, you know, hey, pull a line up the second floor or to truck company. I want you on the roof. Or we would just say topside. And the truck officer knew exactly what I wanted then. So we didn't micromanage. We didn't tell them how to do their tactics. That was their job. And if they didn't didn't know how to do their job, then we'd talk about it and kind of let them know what our thought process was and, and why we wanted a line in the basement or the first floor, second floor, wherever. And all of a sudden, the battalion chiefs and tactics and strategies became accepted and 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 I think everybody after a year or two and it it took several years in fact I wrote the incident command system for Toledo in 84 and was asked because of some things that we found weren't going well with it 1994 to um, excuse me we started in 88 in 1994 we did some changes. Uh, when I first wrote it, we were the outside of the building was one, two, three, four, and we changed that to A, B, C, D to reflect what more was done in in other departments across the United States, and changed some some things around to to kind of make it fit a little bit more in with our operations and also what was generally accepted across the United States. So yeah, I, I think I think I think. It was the the 
the the continuity and consistency and the accountability that comes from the incident command system that made it and the oriented search work so well. Chief, uh, I think it, what's so cool about the incident command system and the way you put it out there is a lot of the departments really across the country are using the terminology today. Uh, attack and vent and search has always been around, uh, but a big thing that you hit was benchmarks, that we were all saying oh, something yeah. consistently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yep, and that came in the 1994. I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the big changes we did in 1994. The, 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 the problem was, in fact, it was a problem that, that happened to me, and it happened with one squad. Uh, I was battalion one, and we had a house fire, and I assigned squad one because it was a vacant house. I assigned them attack. They were one of the first crews on the, on the scene, and it worked out well that they could pull the line and take it in, and our squads in Toledo were four-person crews, just like the rescues in New York, um, no hose lines on their rigs, just tools and, and three or four or five firefighters with a lot of experience and it could do almost anything on the fire ground. And so anyways, I assigned one squad attack and I signed engine five backup. And that's all I said, command one squad, your search engine five, your backup. And I'll never forget Tommy Jixetic was captain of ones, one of the best firefighters I ever knew. And he came out and was super hot mad. He had a de-handled pike pole in his hand. He threw that down on the ground. He swore and said, Chief, I thought you signed us to attack. And I said, I did. And he said, well, then why is engine five in there putting out my fire? And I said, I don't know, Tommy. Let me go find out. So I found the lieutenant on engine five and said, what what did I assign you? And he said, backup. And I said, okay, if I assign you backup, what's, what's your task? What are you supposed to be doing? He said, looking for fire to put it out. And I said, Absolutely. no, that's not what I meant. What I meant in backup is you're a crew that's going to go in and protect engine five, or excuse me, squad one in this instance, and make sure that if they need to back out or if they find a victim and want to back that, have to back that victim out and drop their line to get the victim out, you're there to hold the fire until everybody is safe and outside. You're the protective, you're, you're, you're the protective line inside. Your job is not to go in and look for fire to put out. That's not what, if I wanted you to do that, I'd assigned you assist in attack. So that was the problem. We were, see, <laughs> I'm going to go off on my 30-second tangent here. Um, I've never read the IFSA manual from fr start to finish, front to back. That wasn't our drill manual when I came on the job. That wasn't our drill manual when I was chief of training in 1984 when we hired that group of recruits. We had our own training manual. And not until the state changed the laws in the 80s and early 90s did the, the state make the IFSTA manual the training manual for the state of Ohio that the state test, your, your recruit test, was finally state exam to get certified was based on. So I never read the manual, the IFSTA manuals, and 
the young kids that we were hiring, though, that was their drill manual. We still had the Toledo Fire Department drill manual, but they also used the IFSA manual. And a lot of the things that I was learned, I had learned in the fire service, were not the same as what was taught in the IFSA manual. And I, that's, a, that, that's kind of a huge problem here. So we sat down, and, and Chief Brunacini had a, a, a list of benchmarks in his fire command book, which I was teaching out of at the time at Owens. And I thought, well, let's, 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 that makes sense to me. Let's give them, let's come up with a list of every assignment that we can think of on the fire ground. And not only on the fire ground, at MDAs, at hazmat incidents, at any incident we can go to. Let's just sit down and brainstorm and come up with the assignments that, that are common in, in, in those type of incidents. And let's just make a one-sentence definition of what that is. The mission of search is to locate, I don't even remember what it is anymore, but we came up with a, with a, with a, with a, 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 a one-sentence statement on what your focus should be if you're assigned to search, attack, ventilation, backup, decon at a hazmat incident, extrication what what is what is it i want you to do and then we put those in the, in our in our in a manual sent them out to everybody and made them learn those and then from that point on we 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 wanted we wanted a way to assure that they were using benchmarks and the reason i told the chiefs we want to make sure that they're using the benchmarks is now you know when they say you may not even see the truck crew venting, whether it's by fan at the time again or by putting a hole in the roof. And even if you see them on the roof, you don't know if they've already got that hole opened and if they've, if they've made sure that there's a, uh, a channel now and moved any drywall in the ceiling uh, so that this you know, byproducts of combustion can get out of that building. So we're going to have them tell you when it's done. And now when they say search to command ventilation complete, or excuse me, uh, ventilation to command ventilation complete, you know that that officer believes he's got an acceptable hole in the roof if that's what he's going to do or if the, if the fan's commenced, if if they're going to use a fan and we're going to use positive or negative ventilation in the building, whatever it was, you know that that process has started even if you can't see them physically cut the hole. And you should be seeing changes now. You, you should be seeing changes in the smoke and the pressure and where it's coming from. Same thing with attack. Once you say that we've got this fire knocked down, um, you should be seeing changes in fire conditions and smoke conditions inside and outside that building. Once I hear backup in place, now everybody on the fire ground knows that there's a line in a strategically thought out location that is charged and ready to be utilized if we get in trouble in that in that in that building. And so it just it's all checks and balances. And again, it was a concept that that was a pain in people's butts. I understand that. But 
they understood the validity and the need for it. It made for a much better and safer fire ground. Not only that, it, it was it it told company officers exactly what my expectations were. And if I said command to truck thirteen, your ventilation, I want you topside. That's about all I gotta say. And when I stand back and assume my pose at a fire and I see them walk past me, if I see them pulling a, a positive pressure fan up to the front door, we got a problem because that's not what, in my mind, when I said you're topside, what I expected them to be doing. I, I'd expect to see them walk past with a with a ground ladder and a, and a, and a, a carbide tip chainsaw in their hands. So it was. It's a, it, it became a check and a balance system, and I, and I think it also worked out well for attack crews and search crews that were crawling around in some pretty nasty conditions sometimes, and they heard we've got a backup line in place. They knew that there was a hose line close with a crew whose sole focus is the protection of them in there crawling around and risking their lives probably at least in Toledo without a hose line because in Toledo search crews didn't pull a hose line and take them in with them. We, we went in without a hose line and focused on the search itself. That's a whole other story, but it, 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 it just worked well for us. And I think that that's why it was accepted so much by everybody eventually. And I, I got to tell you, as a sideline, it, 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 it warms my heart so much. Um, every once in a while, I get to listen to crews operate in a fire in Toledo. And to still hear them with the same benchmarks and, 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 and making assignments the way that they did when I was on the job. It, it, it shows me that, that a lot of us put some good time and effort into planning this thing, and it, it worked out pretty well. Let's circle back to search for a little bit, Chief. Um, we talked about oriented search and um, having that oriented search or not doing searching. You and I talked a little bit before we got started on uh, kind of the evolution of that and what that officer is doing now with the tick is setting the pace, figuring out where you got to search next, watching the conditions at the tick. And they're not necessarily sitting there just holding a tick and watching that search be completed. They are actively participating in, in speeding this up. Um, what with, with the, the way, uh, uh, Persons stays in contact with each other. I talked and, and taught with some people on the East Coast or West Coast, and they, they talk oriented versus split. And split search is the way to go. Um, can we talk a little bit about somebody's always in charge and always setting the pace, right? It, Whether, uh, why don't you talk to that just a little bit? And, it, it's, it's, it just simply has to be that way, especially under the conditions that we operate. Um, somebody's got to be in charge. And to me, that somebody should be the, shouldn't be, it is the officer. And that officer's primary responsibility is the safety of the crew 
and to complete the mission that you were assigned, the, the, the assignment that you were given. Those are your two responsibilities. And I don't think that the average firefighter can 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 do those two and focus on those two primary aspects the safety of the crew and fire conditions and the mission that you're you're conducting. I don't think you can do that when your hand is on the bale of a nozzle or when you're inside a bedroom sweeping with your hand in a closet or under a bed or on top of a bed. You can't do both and do them perfect. And darn, I want perfect when you're in my house searching for my kids or my grandkids or me. So it you've got to be to, to be kind of divide and conquer. And sometimes you got to slow down a little bit to hurry up. And I think that's what the officer needs to do and should do, um, regardless of the assignment, whether it's search or it's attack. You've got to focus on the fire, the conditions, and the safety of your crew and your attack. Where Where is your line going? Where do you want to go? what type of attack do we want to do with it when we get there? And then once that fire is darkened down, what are we going to do next? Are we going to immediately drop that line and start to open up walls? Or are we going to go and get above or around the fire and check for extension? And I don't think you can do that if you're, if you're worried on where your stream is, is aimed and what position to bail your nozzles in and all the other things that go along with, with operating a good, effective O-stream. You can't do them both and do them perfect. So it's it's it, it, it just, to me, it's that it, it officers focus, and I don't look at it as an ego thing. I don't look at it as, it, 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 it doesn't mean that I'm, as a company officer, going to sit back and, and just, you know, do nothing but, but think. But damn it, somebody's got to be thinking. And and you know, um, again, I I don't think you can do both. Whether it's search or, or it's operate a Kinman tool and figure about what kind of cut you're going to make. I don't even know if they still have Kinman tools. But the jaws and and where your first cut's going to go and what are you cutting and and uh, what type of cribbing and shoring do we need? You can't do that and have your hands on the 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 trigger of a, a jaws of life so uh the officer's responsibility has got to be uh first and foremost get your assignment and then your you your safety of your crew and um get the mission done and that falls back then to benchmarks because when I fought fires as a lieutenant and a captain and a firefighter, it wasn't uncommon. We didn't have mandatory masks back then. And it wasn't uncommon for a chief to go inside a, a, a house that was on fire and climb up, walk up the stairs of the second floor with no SCBA on and, you know, ask, how's it going? And you guys hitting it and everything okay? Incident command, we stop that. That's not that's not the incident commander's responsibility. That's a company officer's responsibility to let us know 
give a can report, so to speak, um, conditions, actions, and needs, where we are, what we're doing, and, and is there anything that I need as we're going along. My job as the incident commander is to focus on this great big picture, whatever that picture is in front of me, and make sure that everything that needs to be done is being done and it's coordinated and you're the coordinator. So it 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 it, it, it goes back to me that the, the basis of ICS is focus. You know, my job as an incident commander is to focus on this problem in front of me in a holistic manner. What are my problems? I've got a search problem, I've got a fire attack problem, I've got a ventilation problem. All right, those are my problems. Now let's make the, let's make assignments to to correct each one of those or one or two at the same time, and then 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 see how conditions change, and then make adjustments and advances as we go along. But it's to be outside and focus on that entire picture, and then the company officer's responsibility is is to focus on whatever your assignment is, and that's it. And I don't expect search. To be, I don't expect search. They have a hose line in their hand because I don't think you can search perfectly and and pull and maintain and and keep a hose line with you at the same time. I mean, they're taking one of your hands away, at least one of your hands away. I don't expect attack to search. If you stumble on a victim, that's one thing. But if you go into a house that's fully charged with smoke but you see no flame, your job is to find that fire and then put it out. And I don't think you can do that and feel under beds and in closets and on top of beds and on sofas for victims and do both at the same time and do both perfectly. So it's, it, it, it all goes back to focus. Chief, I'm glad you brought that up. As we have, and you know, I've, I've, consider myself a disciple of yours on the search aspect. <laughs> um, we, we broke down and, and had to break down search even a little bit more. And we, we talk about the oriented search and you've hit on that a lot. Um, we talked about if my partner and I, I'm going in with, uh, with my senior firefighter who I teach with and all the time, uh, I know where he's going to be. I know his comfortability in searching and our comfortability together. And that how comfortable we are in his skill level and the conditions are going to allow us to spread out a little bit further, still with that mission of getting anybody out and that building search as quickly as possible. So uh, voice, visual or touch, the better the conditions, the further apart we are, the worse the conditions, the closer we stay. Um, so we felt like that was an important part to to let people know. Um, that it's not a different search. It's not necessarily a split search. It's it's just an off branch or an extension of, of what's already being done. And likewise, when you said the, um, you know, you don't expect the attack team to search. We found as we get around uh, and teach places, if the second due rig is 15 minutes out, your initial incident commander initial objective is to put water on the fire we can't wait 15 minutes to get that search done so once that initial search is done or initial attack is done they have we have to figure out what to tell them to do and that's searching off the line we call it a hasty or dirty search um but all of a sudden we say okay these things are acceptable in these situations um 
And it, likewise with the vet enter search, uh, it, it's acceptable in these situations is how we're going to do it. Um, so a lot like what you did with Insight Command, we broke that search down just one step further and it really gave people, I think, a good understanding of, oh, okay, now I get it. It's a, yep. Especially in this day and age when we, we take uh, uh, Twitter, however many characters it is, and, and then we're going to just base all of our operations on one little segment. Uh, sometimes we got to get a little bit deeper into that. Yep. Um, Yep. No, I, I agree. And it, again, it evolves and, and incident command and searches evolved. Um, when I was a, a firefighter, in fact, almost throughout my entire career until we developed and, and kind of perfected the oriented search, then enter search was voodoo. I mean, it broke the first very tenant of firefighting, which is you don't go into a, a burning building by yourself. And that's the whole premise behind the original then enter search. And I know that again, through evolution, you guys down in Florida looked at this system of then enter search and you looked at the oriented search and you said, wait, whoa, let's do an oriented then enter search. It kills two birds with one stone. And I think for, for mid-sized to smaller departments, what you guys are doing with then enter search is, is a godsend. And, you know, two firefighters and uh, 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 an attic ladder or a, 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 a small ladder, uh, you know, 20-footer, 18-footer, can do an entire two-story house in all the bedroom areas at 3 in the morning, and you three bedrooms and do it a safe and do it in a vent enter search pattern where one person enters through the window, and then the, the oriented person climbs up that ladder and is the eyes and ears and the safety valve for that one firefighter who's in doing a correct one-person vent enter search. And it, it 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 allows a small department or a mid-sized department to prioritize and get the bedroom to three in the morning. Again, I'm going to play my odds unless somebody tells me different. You know, at three in the morning, I'm going to the bedrooms if, if I'm assigned search, depending, again, on a few conditions. And never say never and never say always. But under general conditions, at three in the morning, I'm going to bedrooms. And this, this allows for a good, quick, search of the sleeping areas at three in the morning. And so it, it's, it's an evolution of all of these, these things put together. Um, I, but, but even in that, the, the oriented person on a, on, in my opinion, on oriented vent enter search is still while that, that firefighter is in crawling through that bedroom and finding the door and closing it and then doing his, search in the bedroom he's he's looking at the safety conditions he's looking if he's got a tick he's making sure that the heat levels if if it's out again you got to remember i've never used a tick but it's 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 that the, i would assume that you can tell if the temperature in the room is maintaining a, a pretty constant temperature or if you are starting to get some leakage through a door or whatever or it is coming through some 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 holes or whatever in the in the in the uh, wall assemblies or something and also, not only the safety of the, that searcher who, who you are watching with your tick, 
But where are we going to go next based on what that searcher is telling you, what you're hearing from other fire officers on, on the fire ground that are assigned attack and in other assignments, ventilation, what you're hearing, their chatter over the radio. And you're coming up with conclusions on where you're going to take as soon as you get that one bedroom done, where you're going to go next. And the other thing you got to always be thinking of if you're the oriented person doing searches, excuse me, if you're the, the, the officer, the or, yeah, that's right, the oriented person doing searches, what are you going to do if you find somebody? If you find somebody right now, what's the best, easiest way to get them out of the building safely? And it, Or do we want to go in and shelter in place in that bedroom? Is that the safest place for you right now if you find a victim in a bedroom? Is to keep that door closed because of fire and smoke conditions throughout the other part of that house? Is it better to take the window and and just wait till you have the opportunity to bring that victim down as long as they are viable? And you don't have to do CPR and that old stuff. I think we bring sometimes people out of buildings way, way too soon. I hate it when you have to, to me, bringing a victim down a ladder in a house fire should be your last resort. Uh, It's just, I've seen too many victims fall or drop, be dropped from ground ladders bringing them out. I hate to say it, but I have seen it. And going back and thinking about the times that it happened, sometimes it wasn't actually necessary to bring one of that building right at that very time. Um, one of the best pictures I ever saw in the front of fire engineering was a was a firefighter. I think he was a Cincinnati firefighter who was at a window, light smoke coming out of the bedroom window, and he had his face piece off and had it pressed up against an old lady's victim's face and they were both leaning out the window and I thought what a wonderful picture I mean (laughs) you know everybody's safe right now we're not in a panic mode and 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 once conditions become acceptable then we can bring that lady out and maybe it still has to be because of fire conditions and burned out stairways and whatever maybe we still have to bring her out through the window but we can do it on our terms and not a rushed job or, you know, if conditions exist and five seconds later we get the smoke out of that building and we turn on a fan to start to clear the smoke out of the building and we've got visibility inside the building, we can carry her out through a downstairs, to downstairs safely and, and, and so on. So, anyways, it, it all goes back to conditions in and outside the building. Perfect. Chief, well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I got a lot out of it. I'm sure everybody that listens will, too. Um, just your years of experience really shines through in it. I think Grant and I were, were talking back and forth in the text message, um, just saying that, like, everybody thinks they're cutting edge, but so many guys were doing this cutting edge stuff years before anybody knew about it and before the Internet made it cool. And uh, I really appreciate you you and what you did to push the fire service forward because you've made an impact Um that I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll outreach Toledo and, and everywhere across this country and really make an impact to, to every firefighter and all those people that those firefighters serve. Well, thank you very much. I had a good time. Um, hope I didn't ramble too much, which I tend to do. Um, and, and again, um, you know, I, I hope people understand it's just been a long time since I've, I've, I've worn the uniform, sadly. And I'd like to take this opportunity, by the way, just to take two seconds. 
I appreciate so much what firefighters and emergency responders and doctors and nurses are doing right now through this this COVID nineteen, which is which is hit our country. Um, I I don't know what we do. I I think that in 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 with nine eleven, and I was there then, not New York, but I was on the job then. Um, that was the beginning of preparedness and us thinking about things like this. And I'm so proud of, of what you folks are doing. And I got to tell you, you're working in times that I never have dreamt of doing or going through. And I, I'm so proud of the way firefighters are handling this throughout the United States. Well, thank you, Chief. I'm sure uh, lots of the people listening to this will give a nice hour-long break from all the, the stress and think about this. And uh, we want to thank everybody as well. Everybody try to stay safe and stay healthy, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Watch me! Watch me! I got it! <laughs>